Okay, there, saints. Exodus chapter 26, as we continue our journey here with the tabernacle. Let's bow our hearts. Fathers, we come once again anticipating just like you declared Jesus in the volume of the book it is written of you. And these things are, are amazing in itself. These things are beautiful and perfect. They're an express worship of who you are and how we can worship you and to understand you in your heart. And then we see you, Jesus. We see you. We see you in your beauty, your majesty, your ministry. <coughs> We're asking tonight simply that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us in church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I did it on Sunday, too. Okay, saints, Exodus chapter 26. Tonight we begin in verse 31. And I want to read through this portion of Scripture, and then we'll just simply jump into our study. Exodus 26, 31. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine woven linen shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it on the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of the silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. You shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. And you shall set the table outside the veil. And the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south. You should put a table on the north side, and you shall make a screen, <coughs> verse 36, for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen made by a weaver. <coughs> verse 37, you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. <clears throat> As we've been going through this portion of Scripture, <clears throat> each time we're hitting another part of the tabernacle, keep in mind that what we've seen here is this. So often people anticipate the tabernacle being that which the sinner approaches God. And that has been a norm of many people's theories on why God is designing the tabernacle. But keep in mind that what happens is when you take a look at the tabernacle, God doesn't start outside with the altar, with the bronze altar, move to the bronze labor, and then come on in and then work your way in. That's not what he does. What he truly does is this. He starts with the Holy of Holies. He starts there with the Ark of the Covenant. And as he deals with the Ark of the Covenant, then eventually what he does is he... Oh, thanks. He begins to roll through and 
goes from the inside, and then he goes through the veil, and then he comes to the altar of incense, then he comes to the table of showbread, then he comes to the menorah, and then he eventually goes out through that second veil, and then he goes to the bronze labor of the washing, and then he goes to the sacrifice. So rather than it's us coming to God, keep in mind it's, it's God, Jesus, coming to us. Philippians 2, in the, you know, Jesus, who being in the form of God, not considered robbery to be equal with God, makes himself of no reputation, comes in the form of a bondservant, likeness of man. And then as a man, he humbles himself again to the point of death. It's God accessing us, and then once he comes to that bronze altar, then we have access. Now, our access, we don't have to stop, as we're going to see tonight. We just come straight in through the veil. That's what we do. So if it was this point of how a sinner begins to approach God, that we would be limited. We would never go beyond the, the Holy of Holies. We would stay at that veil. And so what we've seen is this. In Exodus 25, beginning in verse 9, it declares this. Verse 8 and verse 9 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so we begin to see here, he says, I want you to make this according to the pattern. There's a pattern that you are going to make this um, through and of. And so in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it talks about this tabernacle, it talks about the priest, but it says this in Hebrews 8, 5, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. This is a pattern, this is a type. This is according to God's absolute and perfect design. Now what we've been seeing is we started with the Ark of the Covenant, we've then moved out and we started looking at the, um, the table of showbread, the lampstand, and so we looked at how all those are aspects of Christ. And then we begin to look at the, the curtains on what was the covering of the tabernacle. And last week we spent the entire study just on the boards and the sockets. And so it seems like a lot of time to spend on boards and sockets. But when you understand that, that, that we are that part of the body, that all these things united become one. And so we're, we're fully in Christ um, beautiful study, beautiful way to look at who Christ is in his ministry and us being in him. But now we come to what is known as the veil. It says in verse 31, you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. And then it says it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Now remember back in chapter 26, when we started in verse 1, when it talked about the curtains that were going to go outside and cover the tabernacle, and we understand that there's going to be four coverings. The first was the curtains, and in Exodus 26, verse 1, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen, blue, purple, scarlet thread, with an artistic design of cherubim, you shall weave them. So what we're seeing is this fine linen is all the way around. And so it, it's, it's the veil that actually enters into what we will call the most holy. 
And so with this veil, it needs to be basically of four colors. Now, four in the scripture is going to be balanced truth. And the colors are, first and foremost, blue, purple, scarlet, and then fine woven linen is going to be white. And so we see the blue is the representation of heaven. Um, of course, you know, you look up and the skies are blue. We, we call that the heavens. And so in a sense, what that would be known as, in, in a sense of balanced truth, it's, you know, basically like the Gospel of John points out Jesus, he's the Son of God, over and over in it, itself, talking about his nature and his character. The next thing that we see is the color purple, and purple being that color of royalty, um, where if you're familiar with that passage, and I just want to turn there and read it to you, you don't have to, but in Mark chapter 15, um, an amazing two verses we see in verse 17 and in verse 20 of Mark 15 it says, and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And of course, verse 18, they begin to salute him, hail king of the Jews in verse 20. When they mocked him, they took the purple off of him and they put his own clothes on him and let him out to crucify him. This purple is this, this instance of royalty and that's what the, the color represents. And so in a sense you're looking at with this purple, it would be like looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And so with, with the Gospel of Matthew, he was the son of David. He would be the one to be recognized as the king of the Jews. They would hail him king of the Jews on the sign. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. When he was born, let him come to worship him who was born king of the Jews. And so we understand here that as the son of David, he would then become the king. So this purple representing again that ministry, the person of Jesus Christ, showing him in his royalty, earthly king of the Jews, in you know, his deity, king of kings and lord of lords. And then we see not only is it of, of blue, of purple, but then we see the scarlet. And of course, the scarlet is that color of redemption. If you're familiar with that passage there in Joshua chapter 2, where Rahab was told, I want you to put this scarlet cord out your window. And so, so often that is represented as this area of scarlet is that color of redemption. That when they saw the cord in the window, they knew that everyone who was within that room, within that house, no one would be hurt. And so it's just this beautiful understanding of what that is. And so when we see the scarlet, the red, the sacrifice, the redemption, of course, the blood of Jesus. And so we're looking at when it's when we're looking at the sacrifice, like the Gospel of Mark shows him as the servant who would ultimately serve like Philippians says, to the point of death. And so we see that. And then lastly, it says the fine woven linen. So you make a veil of blue, purple, scarlet, and then this fine woven linen. And that speaks of the, the whiteness, the purity, um, righteousness, where in the Gospel of Luke, he was known as you know the, the, the son of Adam. He would be the, the, the sinless man who would be the one to go and die for our sins. But he would do everything he did as a man, but under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we begin to see is what this veil is. Now, scholars 
have an understanding that this veil was about 18 inches thick. It wasn't just this little tiny curtain, but there was layer, 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 and this veil was about 18 inches thick, literally almost a cubit to have to go through that. And so we see here the veil, blue, purple, scarlet, fine woven linen, and then you are going to once again weave it with this artistic de design of cherubim. Now, when we talked about the cherubim, when we were looking at chapter 26, verse 1, we made note that the first cherubim was there in Genesis 3. We think it's the first cherubim was the one that God places there at the, the entrance to the Garden of Eden with the flaming sword. But that wasn't the first cherub. The first cherub was Satan, as, as um, Ezekiel tells us in chapter 10. He was the anointed cherub who covers. So... You have the cherub who made man fall, and of course now the cherubim who protect man from coming in so that eventually they can receive this incredible gift of God and so that they could be redeemed and they could again have this everlasting life, but not according to man's design, but according to God's. And so we see here, this is where those colors are, each one of them representing an aspect of the person, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then it says this in verse 32, and you shall hang it on the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. Now, this is a little unique because interesting, everything that we see within this holy place is gold. The tables are gold and the, the, the overlays are gold. And of course here, you know, you have gold on the wood of that's going to be in there and, and all the implementations is wood and now we have the first thing that is not gold the first metal it's silver and you have this we talked about silver when we were looking at the the, the boards and the sockets how silver itself would be considered the metal of redemption um, there's a passage let me just share it to you for you note takers Found in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 15, it simply declares this. If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from his flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. So we understand that with the silver as a trespass offering, part of that, what we understand is the silver is that metal of redemption. But it's interesting that you're going to hang it upon four pillars. Four, as we've been looking at, is that number of balanced truth. And you have this mixture of gold that's overlaid on the wood. And we've talked about that before. It's duality of nature. That Jesus Christ was both man in his humanity, the wood, but he was also God. So when you see these pillars, like so many other things, it shows a duality of nature. You have the nature of wood, the nature of gold, Jesus, the nature of man, the nature of God. And so, and, and they're, they're, they're fully both. And so not part one, part another. And so with this four, we see the balanced truth. We see the duality of the natures, both humanity and divinity. And then of course you have these sockets of silver and that would be that medal of redemption. Now I want you to understand um, a couple of things that we're going to look at now. We're here 
and we're seeing the veil. Now, as we're going to be looking at verse 33, we're going to see what's behind the veil and further what's in front of the veil. We're going to see what's in the most holy place and what's there in the holy place. But I want you to recognize, and I want to give you just one passage here in Exodus chapter 27, the next chapter. And I want to read to you just two verses, verses 20 and 21. In Exodus chapter 27, beginning verse 20, says, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. So, a lighted part in the tabernacle, but it says this, in the tabernacle of meaning outside the veil. So the priests that are going to come and minister and bring this pure olive oil, they can't go past the veil. They're stuck in what is known as the holy place, where they can serve in the holy place. But it says in verse 21 of Exodus 27, that in the tabernacle meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning, before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So now we're recognizing that the priests can come into this tabernacle and they can minister there in the holy place. They can minister before the veil and understand the most holy place is going to be behind the veil. But there's a passage in Leviticus chapter 16, and I want to read a couple of verses to you. I want to start from verses 1 through 4, and then I want to jump over to verses 11 through 13. But it declares this in Leviticus 16, and it's an important thing to note because we're going to go step by step by step foundationally so that you can begin to understand what this veil is and what it was meant to be there in the tabernacle proper. And then we're going to look at what the veil is as far as the type and see it is, is what it is as far as our redemption and where we are. But in Leviticus 16, the first four verses declare this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram off and a ram as a burnt offering and he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body and he shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired these are holy garments therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on so now the word comes to the high priest and in verse 2 it says, tell Aaron your brother. Not just the ordinary priest, but the high priest. The high priest, <laughs> along with the ordinary priest, the ordinary priest cannot enter behind the veil. But he says, Aaron, you can't just come at your leisure 
into this place behind the veil. That place is the most holy. It is a holy place and you can't enter it. And when you do enter it, first and foremost, take off your high priestly garbs. You're not going to have anything to puff yourself up. Plain old white. I don't want you to have anything that would represent, ooh, look at me. And you're going to come in with this blood of a bull for you and the blood of the ram for the nation of Israel. And so you're going to come in and you're going to come in very simply, but you can only come in once a year and that only with a sacrifice. Now, when we continue there in Exodus or Leviticus 16, I want to jump down to verse 11. He says, and Aaron shall bring the bull for the, of the sin offering, which is for himself, make atonement for himself and for his house, and he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. And then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die." Now I want you to see something else that's so important, that when he comes in, he can't just come in and look at this ark. He can't look at the cherubim. He can't look at the Shekinah. He has to take some coals from the altar of incense, and then before he steps through, he has to put this incense on the coals. Now what that's going to do is this, create smoke. He can't even see that in its purity. He can't see that in its glory. He has to see it in a sense behind a secondary veil, which is the smoke that is rising up. And so in verse 13, he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. So he's going to sprinkle some of the blood on the mercy seat that is before him. And then, he's, of course, he's going to sprinkle it before it there on the ground. And so I want you to see that this is what he needs to do. And he needs to do this. And I think it's important to recognize because if he doesn't allow the smoke to come, verse 13 says once again that he's going to die. It's an incredible thing when you begin to look at here what God begins to say to the high priest. And with the high priest, he really is making a point to say, you just can't come at your leisure. You're coming according to a very specific time, a specific act. And you still can't fully embrace everything of my glory. That's the high priest. Now when it comes to the standard priest, there's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 44 that gives you an understanding of what they're able to do. In Ezekiel chapter 44, I want to start reading in verse 10 through verse 16. Then I would jump over to verse 23. But it says this. As God is speaking there to the priest in Ezekiel 44, he says in verse 10 that the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house 
They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore, I have raised my hand as an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity, verse 13, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Verse 14, nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. But the priest, the Levites, the son of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. And they shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. So what we're seeing here is this. It's very unique that God is going to still allow the priest to minister as priest. But to all who are outside of the sons of Zadok, what's going to happen is this. They are going to have to do most of the manual labor. They're not going to be ministering directly to God by changing out the showbread, by changing the wicks and, and filling up the, the oil there in the, the menorah, the lampstand. They're not going to be putting in new coals in that altar of incense. They're not going to be putting in the incense on that altar so the smoke rises before the Lord. What the priests are going to do is this. Because they were part of the rebellion and they actually ministered to the people as they forsook God and ministered to idols, God says, you're still going to be priests. That's what I made you to do. But what you're going to do is you're going to do all the sacrifices. You're going to kill sacrifice after sacrifice. You are going to be bloody and you are going to be there over the altar of incense. You're going to be washing all these things and you're going to be ministering to the people. And you're going to show them how bloody this is, how bloody their sins are. And because you forsook me and you were with the children of Israel, you ministered to them, you're still going to minister, and you are going to be a part of this sacrificial system, but you cannot come inside this holy place. And so you're going to be filling up buckets and buckets to fill up the labor. You're going to be putting wood into the, the altar. And so we see all of these things that they're going to do. So they were in charge of constantly making sure the fire was stoked and the sacrifices were made. But the sons of Zadok, these ones that didn't go astray, God says, oh, you know what? They're going to minister to the people. You're going to minister to me. And I want you to understand that there's a difference in service. It's one thing to minister to people, and we're called to minister to people. But make no mistake, there's a greater glory when you're ministering to him. 
So in other words, you can serve people and you can serve people and you can do good deeds and you can do the work that God puts before him and you can walk with him in there. But it's another thing to minister to the Lord. It's another thing just to go before him in prayer, to go before him in the word, to go before him in worship, to minister to him. And so we see that there is a, a deeper ministry of ministering to the Lord himself than to minister to the people. And that ministry is this, verse 23 of Ezekiel 44 says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. There's a discernment. And so what happens is this. There's unholy, which is where most people come before the Lord. I'm coming because I've been Unholy. I'm coming to give a sacrifice. I'm coming to give a sacrifice. That is the, the area where that's the unholy and you can only come so much and you have to come with the blood. And then there's another that is the holy where you come right to God. And it's like, I don't have to worry about sacrifices. I don't have to worry about those things. I want to come right to you. And God calls that the holy and the clean. And what I want you to understand as we continue in this study, who you are tonight. And if you think, no, Lord, I know who I am. I'm the unclean and I'm the unholy. What I'm here to tell you is that sacrifice has already been made. And God sees you as the clean. He sees you as the holy. And there's a work that he wants. Now, what is this work that God wants couple of passages that I want you to actually turn in your Bibles and go there. The first is found in Mark chapter 15. And in Mark chapter 15, I'm going to read a portion of this because I want you to see it in its context. The key being the last two verses I'm going to read. But in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 35, it opens up this truth. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above. King, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. And come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered to him to drink saying, let him alone let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. Now, what we're seeing is this. talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It begins, verse 25, in the third hour, 9 a.m. 
It goes on to verse 33, the sixth hour at noon, where there's darkness until three o'clock. And that's where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 37, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and breathe his last. Cries out, take telestai, cries out, it is finished, breathes his last. And as we say today, his last breath, our first. And so we begin to see here, now I want you to look at verse 38, and this is key, after his death, then the veil of the temple, exactly what we're looking at here, the veil of the temple was torn in two, and this is not a mistake. The Holy Spirit makes this statement from top to bottom. So it's not like someone is ripping from the bottom. Understand, when this veil is ripped, this veil that is 18 inches thick, it's ripped, ripped from the top to the bottom. In other words, put it this way, it's God who's ripping it. It's not man, it's not a mistake. This veil is ripped from the top to the bottom. 18 inches of material completely destroyed. As soon as he dies, as soon as he breathes his last, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In verse 39, so when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out and he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Incredible to see that this veil was torn in two, but make a note of it, it was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, we are blessed as children of God to have the book of Hebrews. And what we're going to do, we're going to camp out in Hebrews here for a little while now. And I want you to turn to Hebrews, and I want you to start in Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, what we begin to see is this, is this beautiful picture, and it's going to teach us about the veil. I want to cover the first nine verses so that you can begin to understand what it is about the tabernacle, what it is that's happening here, so that you can follow along as we end in this incredible climax is, is what the author of Hebrew talks about the veil. But in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary, for the tabernacle was prepared. The first part, now this is what we would call the holy place, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, behind this second veil, we see the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So now we understand that there's this holy place, there's the most holy place, or what he calls the holiest of all. Verse 4, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the tabernacle is made, you have the holy place which has the altar of incense, the showbread, the menorah, 
you have then the veil to the most holy place in which you have the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, those things that are in the mercy seat. Verse 6 says, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. And now we see the truth of what's happening. Verse 7 declares into the second part, into the most holy part, the high priest only can go in once a year, the Day of Atonement. And he only goes in, and this, when he goes in, he doesn't go in without blood. He's not saying, hey, I can go in whenever I want. No, you can only go in once a year, but that's after you sacrifice an ox for yourself and a ram for the nation. Think about this. A ram for millions of people and an ox for the priest. Now, now why is the million people get this little ram the priest has enough. He's entering in. You understand the amount of blood that was there for him. And so he does this, verse 7. The second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, the oxen, for the people, sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit, verse 8, indicating this. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. Verse 9, it says this, it was symbolic. The tabernacle itself was symbolic. The gifts that were offered were symbolic. The first place was symbolic. The holiest of all was symbolic. And understand the veil itself was also symbolic. The veil itself is that access from the earthly to the heavenly, from a holy place in communing with God to the most holy place where the very presence of God is. And understand, it's symbolic. We do not enter into the presence of God. They could not do that. The high priest couldn't do that at his whim once a year after he sacrificed the ox. So the Holy Spirit was simply saying that this was a symbolic thing while the first tabernacle was standing, verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. So what happens is this, is you're going to have a sacrifice and you think, I am forgiven. And you think, okay, well, I'm, I'm good, right? Well, understand that you realize that next year there's going to be another sacrifice. And the year after that, another sacrifice. And in between that, there's going to be other sacrifices that all the other priests are ministering to the people in their sin. So what happens is this. You, you, you're thinking, I'm clear now, but there's going to come a time where there's going to have another sacrifice. My conscience isn't perfected. Because if it was... There would not have to be another sacrifice. But because there's going to be one year after year, one in the morning, one in the evening, every time people sin, we recognize what's happening in these sacrifices. Now, if you back up a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 6, 
I want to read to you just a couple of verses here. I want to read verses 19 and 20. It makes this statement. This hope we have. It talks about a hope. It talks about a hope that we anchor into that we have. Not that, that, that we're, we're, we're hoping for a hope. This is a hope we, we anchor into, we have. So this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And now we begin to see this beautiful truth that Hebrews chapter 6 is speaking. Now what Hebrews 6 is saying, okay, now we had a high priest there, sons of Aaron, who could go into the most holy place, or the holy of holies, once a year on the day of atonement, with a sacrifice of an ox for himself and a ram for the people. But they would have to come back every single year. And now what this is saying is this, verse 20, the forerunner, Jesus Christ, he's not a high priest of the sons of Aaron. He's a high priest according to a whole nother priesthood. He's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? Well, keep in mind that the author of Hebrews is going to tell us that without contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And what we begin to see is this. That when Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, and then Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. So when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Keep in mind that inside Abraham was something unique. It was his descendants. Already in his loins. And so with Abraham, you had Isaac, you had Jacob, and then through Jacob, you had the 12 tribes, and one of the tribes was Levi. And so when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, he was spiritually also blessing all of his descendants by the greater blessing the lesser. He was, in a sense, blessing the Levites too, which meant that the ministry of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek as the high priest was greater than the Levitical priesthoods. Now understand also that when Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, what was happening was this, that all of the Levites, being in Abraham, so to speak, was also giving a tithe to Melchizedek, a greater priesthood. That being said, understand that Jesus is not a high priest of the lesser priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, he's a high priest of the greater priesthood, the Melchizedekian priesthood. So what we're seeing is this, that there is, as the Aaronic priesthood could only enter in once a year with the blood of these, the, the oxen and the goat, he could come in. Jesus Christ, as a greater high priest in a greater priesthood, now enters in with a greater blood, his own. So understand what's happening. Let me read to you verse 19 and 20 of Hebrews 6 one more time. This hope 
we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Jesus now goes through the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's the high priest forever. He's already gone into the veil. And so we have what? We have access behind this veil because of Jesus Christ. One last passage I want you to look at in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read verses 20 through 25. It makes this statement. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 20. Or verse 19. I'm sorry. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What we begin to see is this, this beautiful passage where he says, I want you to have the boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. So keep in mind, can we enter? Absolutely certain, because all of these, the tabernacle was a type of the earthly. Now Jesus enters that copy that we said, the heavenly tabernacle, that veil is rent, and we understand why and how. Verse 20 says it's a new and living way. It isn't the old way of the Aaronic high priest comes in with the blood of bulls and goats. It's a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil which is his flesh. So understand that there on the cross, when his flesh was torn, as his flesh was ripped and he dies, then all of a sudden the, the true, as his flesh becomes this veil, we enter in through the flesh of Jesus Christ. We enter in through the person of Jesus Christ. Our access is in him. And it's this beautiful thing that we begin to see that we come in through his flesh and now he, through his resurrection, he's alive and we enter into this new and living way through the body of Jesus Christ. As his flesh was rent, the veil was rent, we now have this bold access. And he says, now this is what you need to do. You need to have boldness to enter into the holiness. Don't think that you're of the, 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 the people who say, I'm of the unclean and I'm of the unholy. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse a man of all unrighteousness. So we can have boldness now to enter in. So when we see this veil, and the veil is so important, and every aspect of it points out to what? The ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. So when this veil is ripped, the ministry of Jesus Christ was to have his body torn. The, the ministry of Jesus Christ is to have the access opened. 
So when the veil is rent, the access is now opened up. The amazing thing is tradition has it that the priest said, oh, we got to fix the veil. <laughs> it was open. And they we got to fix this. We got to close it back up. But God says, no, you need to come boldly to this. And this is what we begin to see. So now when we go back in our text and we see in verse 33, you shall hang the veil from the clasps and you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. And within this ark of the testimony, we also see this, you're going to bring it behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. It's the place of service to the place of worship. You understand there's a difference. The, the holy place is service, service, service. You're constantly putting in new showbridge. You're constantly fixing the wicks and adding new oil. You're, you're putting incense and new coals on that altar of incense. You're constantly ministering. And understand that in that holy place, there's one piece of furniture that is missing. There is no chair. There is no chair. The priest isn't going to go in and say, oh, wow, i got to sit down for a while. There's a table of showbread. There's a menorah. There's an altar of incense. There is not a chair. You're not going to sit down. You're not going to rest. You're working, you're working, you're working. You're constantly ministering while you're in there. So we see here that it's a divider between the holy place, the place of service, and the most holy place, the place of intimacy and connecting with God. And what Jesus Christ does is he says, no, everyone stops at service. They stop at service. And how many people do you know that in their Christian work, all they do is they serve God and they serve God. I got to do this for God. I got to do this for God. It's religion. It's works. And what God says is this, just hang out with me. I want intimacy. I just want you to be in my presence. And you don't have to worry about the incense and the smoke and all that. The way is made open. Jesus Christ, his body has been torn. And when he died, the veil was torn. We have access, come boldly to this throne of grace that is there behind the veil. And so what we see is this. Again, in verse 33 and 34, you shall hang the veil from the clasp. You shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. We covered that there in the first part of chapter 25. And you shall, verse 35, set the table outside the veil. Now that is going to be the... the um, the altar of incense. That's the table. It's right outside the veil. And the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south, you shall put the table on the north side. So now we understand how the, the, the access is. When you come in to the tabernacle, the opening is on the east, the closing is on the west, so you enter in from the east, then on the south side, you have the menorah, on the north side, you have the table of showbread. And so this is what the furnishings look like and how they're designed. Now, when you come inside the veil, it's a place of service, a place of service, a place of service, but a place of intimacy 
The high priest can go once a year, but he still can't fully enter in because of the smoke that is this veil between him and the Shekinah glory. And now it says this. There's another veil. It says this in verse 36. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and woven and fine woven linen made by a weaver, and you shall make the screen for and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Now we see that the screen, literally a door to go into the holy place, the first part. You have to understand that the average child of Israel, the most he can see is a priest offering a sacrifice. He can't even see the service inside to God. All he can see is priests serving him, priests serving him, priests serving him. But inside this door, inside the screen, and understand that screen is the same things that is there on the ten curtains in Exodus 26.1. It's the same exact thing as the veil that is there um, before the most holy place. And it's a screen, it's a door, but something unique. The pillars on the inside are only four, four being the number of balanced truth. The pillars on the outside is five, the number of grace. In order to enter into even the service, there's grace. And then there has to be a balanced truth, the truth that you and I can recognize. It's the hope that we have as an anchor for our soul that we realize I don't have to wait and serve. I don't have to serve and serve and serve and work myself up and eventually become some kind of high priest Status where I can then go into the intimacy of God one time of a year. You know, he says, you just come anytime you want. This is what my children do. You come anytime you want. It's a beautiful thing that we begin to see. And so we look to this, and it's just a beautiful thing where that's what you have. You have a screen, verse 36, for the door of the tabernacle, woven of the blue, the purple, the scarlet, the fine wool, the women, the fine woven linen made by a weaver. So you have these things where the, the heaven, the royalty, the, the redemption, and then, of course, the, 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 the purity that we have, you know, the righteousness. And then you're going to make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. So, of course, the duality of the nature, fully wood, fully gold, the two natures of these... Um, the pillars, and, of course, the dual nature of Christ... But then you have the five sockets, but it's not of silver, it's bronze. Bronze being the metal of judgment. It's interesting that as soon as Jesus comes and he passes through the ministry that he does to the Father, which is the holy place, as everything the Father says he does, everything the Father speaks he speaks, the ministry to the Father, where the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. His ministry to man is to die. His ministry to man is immediately judgment upon himself. He takes the judgment of sin that is meant for man. He places upon himself the handwriting of the requirement that was against us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And I love the fact that you see him coming into the bronze. 
the, the, the pillars of this grace is, is literally set upon judgment. Grace is set upon the judgment and you access in through these five pillars of grace and then it's through those doorways and then of course you're going to have this bronze laver and the bronze altar that we're going to be looking at of course the bronze altar next week and so it's just this beautiful picture and i want you to see what these veils are and and what they are is their their, their limitation of access the, the 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 first veil the the normal child of israel can't even see into the the sanctuary he can't see past the door. He can't see the table of showbread. He can't see the menorah. He can't see the altar of incense and smoke rising. They can't see any of that because the priest has to go in through a door. But the priest can't go into the holy place. They can serve God, the sons of Zadok, but they can't enter into intimacy. I want you to know that you and I have the access whenever we want it. We're not limited. Whenever we want it, we have the access. And the access isn't by what we do. The access is by what Jesus Christ has already done. And you, by faith, if you start looking to what you do and what you've done, you have to understand that what you do and what you've done has been paid for on the cross. And we enter in by this new and living way through the blood of Jesus Christ, that which cleanses us. You understand that when you come in through the blood of Jesus Christ, you come in and as you pass through the blood, you are washed as white as snow. It's this beautiful thing that God begins to depict. And I want you to know what your access is, what my access is. Come boldly to this throne of grace. Amen? Amen. Oh, Father, we do thank you for just this passage. Again, looking at the beauty of you, Jesus, who you are and, and your ministry. So we are asking, Lord, that as you begin to reveal these things to us, we understand that there was limitation after limitation after limitation. And the child of Israel couldn't even come to the bronze altar unless he had a sacrifice, unless it was the blood of something else. Every time he came, there had to be blood. We don't need the blood of bulls and goats anymore. We have the, the perfect blood. The perfect sacrifice, Jesus, you, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. You are high priest. Not, not, not of a lower class, not of a lower priesthood of the Aaronic, but of the, the great priesthood of Melchizedek. You are a great high priest forever, forever, forever. You are this high priest and you have access forever. And you granted us access forever and intimacy anytime we want Teach us, anchor this in our heart that we don't just need to serve you, Lord, but we can come and do even a greater ministry, not a ministry to people, not a ministry to you, but just intimacy, being with you in your presence. Oh, teach us, teach us that truth, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen.